Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. I wanted to open the word with you today. I wanted to share a message that the Lord put on my heart. Um, And I think often we get to places in our life where we lose our belief in something. We, We lose our belief that God can actually pull through. For some of us, we come with a desire, we come with something that we want uh, to believe in or to believe for, and some of you may not believe that God can do what is in your heart. We get to this point in life where it's like, I've given up on those things because I don't actually believe that God could actually come through. Some of you today might be believing for something regarding health. You might be believing for uh, job security. You might be believing for family unity, ministry opportunities. You might be believing for your your wildest dreams to come true. And we all have something that we are believing for or believing in. And we all have these desires, we have concerns, we have troubles and we have hopes. And how do we come to God with these things? How do we live in the tension um, of having these dreams and these desires not yet come into a reality? How do we posture ourselves in that space? And today we're gonna turn to Scripture. I love Scripture, I love reading the Word. And if you have your Bibles, whether it's, paper copy like me, or you've got it on your phone, or you've got it in any way, we're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to turn to a story which helps us maybe understand what posture we should take in that tension of hopes and dreams and our reality. So would you turn your Bibles to me, uh, to me to, with me to 1 Samuel, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 18. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, excuse me, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Yet year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion of the meat because, uh, because he loved her. The Lord had closed her womb and her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? That's a classic husband response, am I right? (laughs) I'm joking, guys, a little bit. Um, (laughs) Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have, been, 
I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it still speaks truth to us in our present moment. And so we come and we honor what it is you are saying to your people today. Amen. Amen. Here we have this scenario. And and to give you a little bit of context, Israel has had many judges up until this point. They've gone from following God to turning away from Him, from sinfulness to repentance. And it's been this constant back and forth of repentance and faithfulness from Israel to God. And we see Eli's sons, these priests. These are the ones that are operating as the mouthpiece of God to the nation. And we see that they are corrupt. They're taking advantage of the sacrifices uh, that the people of Israel will bring. They're actually taking a portion that was not meant for them and they're stealing what was God's. Also, they funny thing, not funny thing, but they're also sleeping around with the women at the temple. This is the reality of Israel. This is the condition of Israel's spiritual leaders of the time. And Elkanah has these two wives and we see that Hannah is barren. She is not able to give him sons and daughters. And we see that Hannah was found in the house of the Lord, but had no peace. Can anyone relate to that? Maybe you've come to church and you're like, oh, this is the place where I'm meant to have peace, but I I don't have peace. And you're wondering what's going on? Why isn't this place fixing all of my problems? Yet it was in her heart condition that we see that Hannah was able to find peace even in the presence of the Lord. It says that no razor, she prays this prayer, she says no razor will ever be used on his head. What does this signify? In, in Numbers chapter six, we read about a vow, a vow that would be taken. It's called the Nazarite vow. And basically in these times, when someone wanted to make a vow of consecration to God, it was called the vow of a Nazarite. We see this in the story of Samson. And a vow of a Nazarite was to abstain from anything from the grapevine, to not go near a dead body and no razor would touch their head. Once they had completed their vow, what they would do is that they would actually come to the temple gates. They would cut their hair as an act, as a symbol of having completed their vow to God and they would sacrifice their hair. And here Hannah says, no razor will ever be used on his head. It's a vow that would set themselves apart to draw closer to God. They made a vow so that God would draw near to them. And this was a symbol of devotion to God. It spoke to being set aside as holy. And Hannah makes this vow on behalf of a son that she hopes to have. She doesn't have a son, she hopes to have it. She she makes this commitment to the Lord that no razor will ever be used on his head. She's making the vow of a Nazarite. And I wonder why Eli was at the doorpost, maybe fulfilling his priestly duties. But I wonder just thinking about what the landscape of Israel's spiritual leadership looked like. Maybe Maybe possibly he was waiting and hoping to see if someone who was set apart would come and do the sacrifice of saying, I've consecrated myself to the Lord. Maybe he was waiting for someone holy to rise up and what he gets is a weeping woman in her barrenness. And you've got to understand at this time to be barren was a shame. It was an honor-shame culture. And so she comes as this weeping, shameful woman. And instead, Eli thinks what he gets is a drunk woman. Now, it wouldn't be shocking for Eli to see drunk women at the temple courts when you know the spiritual climate of Israel at that time. 
It wouldn't be, oh, wow, this has never happened before. Knowing what his sons were up to, knowing how they related to the women at the temple to have a drunken woman come to the courts, maybe he was a little sick of it. Maybe he was a little sick of the fact that there wasn't holiness represented in the people of Israel anymore. And what does he get? He gets a drunken woman. And I think sometimes the answers to our problems, the answer that we're waiting for look very different to what we expect. It looks very different. Maybe you're holding hope for something to stand up in your life, something to be risen up in your life, and it doesn't look like you expected it to look. And is it just that the way that God works? God and Eli were waiting for someone to set themselves apart and they get the least of the least in a barren woman who is weeping and wailing at the temple gates. How we perceive God should work and what God is actually doing can be so very different that we can misjudge his purposes. Hannah goes in her grief and in her mourning and prays to God for a son. See, having a son for Hannah in this time would answer a lot of things. See, in our cultural context, it doesn't quite make sense unless we look a little bit deeper into what was happening in Hannah's time. It wasn't just a desire, the maternal desire for a child. That would have been a strong part of why Hannah prayed this prayer. I want to be a mum. I want to have a child. But why a son? What does a son signify in this time? See, a son would have actually restored her reputation. When shame was put on women for not being able to produce heirs for their husbands, a son would have actually fulfilled and restored that reputation of hers. Not only that, but in that time, the inheritance would be left to the sons. She had no sons, and so she would have been at the mercy of the sons of the woman that would torment her. And you can imagine what type of condition of life she would be living in under the the influence of this woman that tormented her day in and day out. She was, she was asking for a son to help her plan her future. A son would have actually made sure that her future was protected. She, it would have restored her reputation. It would have given her an inheritance. And it would have speak to how she'd be looked after in her old age. So this is, a, yes, it's a desire. But there's some logistics here that she's needing. There's some actual tangible things that she's wanting God to come through in. Maybe that's you this morning where you have a desire, but you also have some, Lord, there's some real life practical things that I need for me to go into this thing, for me to step forward in in the plans that you have for me. I have some logistical requirements that are gonna make it possible for me to actually step into the purpose you have for me. And what does Hannah do? She prays this prayer, O Lord Almighty, if you will only remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Here God is waiting for someone to set themselves apart, to consecrate themselves. In in the time where Israel's leaders are misguiding his people, God is asking, would someone come and set themselves apart. And not only does Hannah set herself apart, but she sets her desires apart. She asks God to bless her with a son. And in this same desperation, in this same desire, she gives it back to God. It's interesting. We're we're so happy to offer God half of this prayer. It's like, God, if you remember me, 
and not forget your servant, but give me this. It's like, this is what I need, Lord God. And we kind of treat the Lord like a genie in a lamp, hoping to get our three wishes. God, if you just remember me, I want you to remember me and I want you to give to me. But it's interesting that Hannah's prayer doesn't end there. This is a model that we must follow in how we set ourselves apart for God. What does she say? She says, then I'll give him back to you. So the very thing that I'm asking for, I'm willing to actually lay it back down. The very thing that I'm, I'm desiring and that I'm needing, these practical things that are gonna make my life and my purpose work out, I'm actually gonna still surrender it. It doesn't make sense. The math doesn't add up. If you needed something, why would you give that something up? Why would you lay it back down? And we're so happy to pray half a prayer. We're so happy to offer half a vow. We're so happy to be consecrated up to a certain degree in our life because the completion of this prayer requires us to trust and have complete dependence in Him being the one that will provide the way. It's us taking our hands off our strategies. It's us taking our hands off our plans and our ideas of security and relying fully on Him to be that. And with no clarity. Hannah didn't have any clarity as to the answer of the prayer, yet she got up and she had peace. Isn't that interesting? So often we approach our belief based upon a predetermined answer. Lord, I'm gonna pray this prayer because I've already determined what the answer should and will be. <laughs> That's how we live our life. Sometimes my kids do that to me. They'll be like, I'm gonna ask mom because I already know the outcome of this. So if I ask in this way, I'm gonna get, but I am unpredictable as a parent. <laughs> and they don't always get what they want. But we do, we, we approach our belief and, and these, the tension of, of having hopes and desires and the reality of what we live in, we, we approach it with a predetermined answer when it comes to giving it to God. We bring our surrender with conditions, which is actually no surrender at all. We so often pray half of that prayer, God bless me, meet my needs, fill me up. I'm believing for this. And that's where it ends. Yet it was in the completion of this prayer that changed the purpose and the outworking of the prayer. It was in the completion of this prayer that brought her peace. It wasn't in the answer or in the outcome of the prayer, but in the completion of it that actually propelled her to a place of peace. Her prayer showed a spirit that had an utter and complete dependence on the sovereignty of God. Oh Lord Almighty, she says, I'm acknowledging that you are sovereign, that you are almighty. She is giving God her desire, her grief, her future. She's giving him all the perceived certainties that come with having a son. Can you live without the tangible certainty, but instead with utter dependence on God? It's a question we must ask ourselves time and time again. Can you live without the tangible certainty? It's like, but I just need to know what's ahead. I need my five-year plan to make sense. I need to know what's around the corner before I can actually complete this prayer. How available do we make our prayers to God for God? This is what Hannah is doing in this moment. She's praying to God, but at the same time, her prayer is a prayer for Him, for His kingdom, for His outworking, His, his purposes. Or are our prayers completely self-seeking, self-serving, I need you to hear me, Lord. I need you to see me. I need you to answer my prayers, but I'm not willing to make this prayer, this vow available to you to use. 
God, I want the big house on the hill, but I'm not going to open those doors up so people can come and encounter Jesus at the table. God, I, I, I want to be able to have this job, but I'm not going to give in to the kingdom work that you're pouring out. God, I, I want to have this, this big family, but I'm not going to teach them to follow your ways. I want you to provide all these things, but I'm only willing to do certain things with what you are providing. Do we limit our sacrifices and surrender based upon the potential, the potential tangible need we see possibly in the future, maybe around the corner? Is that how we pray our prayers? Hannah's vow was excessive. She made this Nazarite vow. They were for a specific amount of time. It was for a specific amount of time. Often they would come and they'd be like, okay, God, I'm gonna consecrate myself for a year and I'm gonna fulfill this duty. And there was a specific amount of time that they would complete these vows. Hannah's vow was excessive. It was for the whole life of her son that she was hoping for. His whole life, which guess what that meant for her? He served the house of the Lord, which meant no inheritance would come through him. Her future was still unsure and unstable. Her very desire, giving it to God, didn't give her certainty of her future. It didn't give her assurance that everything was gonna be okay. She didn't have all the answers that she needed. All the practical things didn't line up in her prayer. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. It was an excessive vow. We let our uncertainty of our lives determine what we allow God to use. Even in her vow, the uncertainty of her life was left in God's hands. Do we stop believing and partnering our belief with surrender because circumstances aren't certain enough? Have we stopped being in a posture of surrender and obedience to the will of God because we can't see possibly how it's gonna work out? There was nothing certain about Hannah's desires and a need for a son, but it didn't stop her from surrendering. It didn't stop her. The thing you're asking God for right now, are you willing to give it up? The thing that you desire the most, the thing that you're praying for, that you're believing for, those hopes, those dreams, are you willing to give it up? That's a really hard question for us to answer. Because I think for most of us, it's gonna take us a while to honestly get to a yes. You're asking God for more influence in your career maybe in your ministry, maybe in your positions at work, maybe your expectations, maybe in the creative, maybe in your relationships, maybe it's in your future plans like it was for Hannah. Would you give that up with no strings attached? Where does that leave you with the things you're believing for? Where does surrender leave you? It leaves you with just you and God and is that enough for you? I think we build so much of our life based around what God provides, not based upon who He is. But are we okay in our surrender to have nothing else but Him? We sing this song at our church, maybe you sing it here, nothing else. Nothing else will do, I just want you. I wonder how many times I've sung that song while my mind has still been paying attention to all the things that I need outside of Him the things that he might provide outside of me actually just having 
him. Hannah didn't have the answer when she completed this prayer. Yet she found peace in completing the prayer long before the outcome. What are the things that you are believing for that you need to surrender? What prayers do you need to bring to completion to set yourself apart for God? When Hannah finished this prayer, she got up, she gave a request to God and she ate. She didn't stay in a place of mourning or wondering or weeping or wailing. She prayed her prayer and she participated in finding joy again and finding peace again. She got up and she ate. You know what's interesting? The offering that they came to bring was, an, was the peace offering. And she couldn't partake in it before she prayed this prayer. And here she is completing this prayer, partaking in what? Peace. Peace. She had complete ownership over the prayer. And in that she was able to get up and she was able to enter into peace. Will you enter into the peace that comes with utter dependence on him regardless of the outcome? This is a challenge I constantly face where I'm like, I don't have peace until I have the thing in my hand, until I can actually sense what it is, until I can hold it. This isn't the model that we see in Hannah's story. But God met her in that place. Further on in verse 19, it says this, early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. God met her in that place. And here we have Samuel. Do you know what's interesting? Is that when she was praying this prayer, the scripture says that there was no sound coming out of her mouth. But Samuel means the Lord heard. Samuel means the Lord heard. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our God? That even when we don't have enough strength to utter the words, for them to be a sound, he still hears the heart's cry. So for those of you wondering, oh, maybe if I just speak it out, maybe that's, that's when the Lord will hear me. I'm like, oh, the Lord hears you even in your soul's groaning, in your soul's mourning. Even when you don't have enough strength to utter the words, the Lord hears. So who was Samuel? To, to, Sam, to Hannah, Samuel was the answer for a son. But in the hands of the Lord Almighty, he was so much more. Her prayer focused on God's sovereignty. Oh, Lord Almighty, you are sovereign. You are God. She acknowledges who the Lord is in this moment. Her prayer focuses in on God's almighty nature. Which is interesting because when we look at who Samuel is, the sovereignty of God and Samuel's life, there's a lot of symbolic parallels here. See, to fully understand and appreciate the prayer that Hannah prayed, we need to look at who this son was that the Lord had given her. This was Samuel. He was to be the last of Israel's judges. He was to be the one that would beckon in the reign of kings. Samuel not only anointed the first two kings of Israel, but he established the framework for how kingship kingship would work for Israel. It was his job to ensure that the reign of kings would continue to echo the sovereignty of God, following after his mother. Samuel was literally the kingmaker in the history of ancient Israel. In contrast to the other nations that would establish kings, Samuel's role to establish Israel's king meant that he needed to establish kings that would continue to 
acknowledge and live and rule and reign under the establishment of God as sovereign over Israel. They were to be kings under the sovereignty of God. This is something that was exampled to him in the prayer of Hannah. He saw and would have heard the story of how he came into being, that this believing woman placed her trust and her dependence on the sovereign God. Hannah's desperation for God to show up in her life brought not just a blessing of a son, but a blessing to a nation. Her commitment to God for her desire for a son taught her son to understand how he must also commit this whole nation to God. Hannah's prayer led to Samuel. And Samuel led to David, the anointed king. David led to Solomon. Solomon led to Rehoboam, to Abijah, to Asaph, to Jehoshaphat, to Joram, to Uzziah, to Jotham, to Ahaz, to Hezekiah, to Manasseh, to Amos, to Josiah, to Jeconiah, to Shetil, to Zerubbabel, to Abihud, to Elikim, to Azor, to Zadok, to Achim, to Elihud, to Eliezer, to Matan, to Jacob, to Joseph, whom the husband of Mary was, who bore Jesus. Hannah's prayer made way for the reign of kings so that the reign of the king could come. Hannah's prayer set up the framework for kingship so when the king of all came, he could reign. What prayers are we praying that usher in the king? What vows are we making to God that will lead a path to Jesus as reigning king over all? 1 Samuel 2 verse 10, Hannah praise this prayer after Samuel has been born to her. She says, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She prays this prophetic praise long before a king was established that God would exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah is talking to a king before a king exists. Her praise was prophetic. And I think some of us need to understand that when we lift up our praise to God, that maybe it would release a prophetic nature that would lead to the king of kings reigning above circumstances. Do our prayers do the same? Hannah's vow led to Jesus. Do our prayers do the same? Are the positions of our prayers focused on the sovereign reign of God pointing to the King of Kings? Hannah's vow led to the establishment of kings over Israel, not realising the prophetic nature of how far reaching that would be. She didn't get to meet Jesus. She didn't get to walk where he walked. She didn't get to have the ministry of Jesus here on earth in her life. She didn't get to encounter him, but her prayer created a pathway for Jesus Christ to come into this world so that you and I could acknowledge him as King of Kings. Hannah's prayer, surrender and obedience has changed your life. It's changed my life. Isn't it amazing what powerful, surrendered and obedient prayer can lead to? Hannah's prayer of praise is also paralleled to another prayer that we see in the Scripture. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out that she is to bear this son, she uses very similar words. When we read about these two songs, Hannah's song and Mary's song, they're paralleled against each other. Mary, it's like Mary's looking back and seeing the prayer and seeing the praise of an answer of a son. She's like, oh, may he exalt the horn of the anointed one. 
that's paralleled to each other, these two women crying up generations apart. And only our God could orchestrate such beautiful prophetic imagery. Do you realise that your prayer to God that lays everything down to the sovereignty of God can't not lead to Jesus? It can't not lead to Jesus. Why? Because he is sovereign. It's all-encompassing of Christ. God's sovereign work is all-encompassing of Christ because he's established him as the king. When things are led to Jesus, lives are transformed. Healing comes. Hearts are softened. Eyes are opened. And we do see miracles start to happen. So often we wish we could see what God sees when it comes to our prayers. Yet through his word, we're able to see what he has already done. And we hold fast to the stories of God's faithfulness in the past. And we recall into, and we remember these stories that led to Jesus and we hold fast to those. Hannah asked God for one miracle. She just asked God, would you give me one son? Would you give me one son? His ways are always higher. His ways are always greater. Not only did he provide Hannah with the answer of the son and Samuel, her life was still uncertain, her future not sure. But God didn't leave her in that space. We read he provided miracle after miracle. See, God didn't just bless her with Samuel. He then blessed her with three more sons and two more daughters. She couldn't plan or see that. And it's amazing how the abundance and the provision of God is made, for, made a way for when we surrender our desires, our will, and then we complete the vow by stepping into obedience to what we said we would do. What prayers of surrender and of utter dependence to God do you need to pray? Maybe you've prayed half of it. Maybe you need to complete it. Maybe you haven't left the certainty of those things in God's hands and you're still fighting for control. Come to the place where Hannah was found. If it's in weeping, then do it in weeping, but do it in surrender, believing. Oh Lord Almighty, why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm thankful for Hannah. I don't know what her face looks like. I don't know how old she was. I don't, I don't know anything about her apart from what Scripture t- teaches me. But I'm grateful for the prayer that she prayed that made a way for the framework of kings of Israel to be established, which would lead to Jesus as our King. Maybe you're here this morning and, and as we just prepare to pray. Maybe you need to complete that prayer. Whatever it is, is it a desire? Maybe you need to complete the prayer to fully give that over to get to God. Is it a certainty of, of security of your future? Maybe you need to complete that prayer. Maybe you're here today and the idea of the King of Kings reigning in your life is not one that you have yet stepped into where you've heard about Jesus, maybe you know about Him, but let me tell you, this is God the Son coming to earth, 
in the form of a humble child, humble baby, living a life where he ministered to the sick, to the broken, to the neglected, to the downcast. And then he died on a cross. Why did he die on a cross? Because he knew that the weight of all of our sin, of all of our shortcomings needed to be dealt with. And he was the perfect sacrifice to take all of that and erase it so that you don't have to live in it. You don't have to walk in it. And He rose again. He conquered the grave. He is a resurrected Jesus. And He ascended on high and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. That if you would just say yes to the reign of the King of Kings in your life, you might inherit something far more than you ever thought you could. There's a security of future when it comes to sitting and abiding in Jesus as King. Your hope is sure in Him. Just as every eye is closed and head is bowed, maybe you're in this place where you haven't acknowledged or you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as King of Kings in your life. Today is the day. It is a day where you can acknowledge that He has done the work for you. And it is a day where you can acknowledge that He will reign over you. So just as we're here, if you sense that today is that day where you're gonna acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Saviour, and as your King, just why every eye is closed and head is bowed just for privacy's sake, why don't you just lift up your hand and acknowledge Him right now in this place. See those hands. See those hands. He sees you, He hears you. To anyone else this morning, don't be timid about the fact that He gets to reign in your life. Is there anyone else this morning that would say, yes, I'm accepting Him, He is my King. Amen. For those of you who raised your hand and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your King, hallelujah. Welcome to His family. Church, can we pray? together with these people. Why don't you just repeat after me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that You are here. Jesus, we thank You that You died, that You rose again, and that You are seated on high. Today I turn from my life and I step into Your life. Would You rule and reign in me? I accept You as my Lord, my Saviour, my King. Purify me from my sin, remove my shame, and let the peace of God rule over my heart. In Jesus' Name, and everybody said, Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.